Two weeks before Jesus was on the cross, man, what was he doing? Well, I'd have to really look at a biblical timeline. I outlined that a couple of years ago. But I know this for a fact. Jesus was not building a bunker and buying bullets. I know that just for a fact. He wasn't sharpening swords and preparing for war. Now listen, I don't have anything against bunkers and bullets. I think they're cool. But some of y'all spent more money on bunkers and bullets than you have building the kingdom in your entire life. And I think that that's a, mis, uh, a misappropriation of the stewardship that God has for us to walk in. Jesus Christ, two weeks before he gave his life on the cross, he was about the master's business. And we should be about the master's business. We should be doing what God told us to do whenever he calls our name. With that in mind, we're going to do something at this church we've never done before. Um, in four services on Easter Saturday night and Easter Sunday, we're going to receive what we're referring to as a legacy offering. A legacy is something that outlives us. We're going to ask God. Now listen, hear me. If you're one of those people who is skeptical about finances and pastors talking about finances, I release you. I don't want you to give. I, in fact, I don't even want you to feel any pressure to give, legitimately. I'm not even being ugly or sarcastic right now. I really don't want you to feel the pressure to give. In fact, don't ever give because you feel pressured. But when you hear that whisper in the wind that Elijah heard, you hear that still small voice and he calls you out of, out of something you're comfortable with and he asks you to give in an offering as he purposes in your heart, I want to encourage you every time that you hear that voice, obey it. I was driving up the road because um, I try not to go any further south than I already am. Insurance is high enough right here. Thank you, Jesus. Um, but we were driving up the road to North Louisiana and I just leaned over casually to Megan. The kids were in the back. Adeline was kind of watching a movie, kind of listening to us. And I said, hey, what are we giving in the legacy offering? Because you mark my word, hear me, I will never ask you to give in an offering that I'm not willing to personally give in myself. Never. And so for all the ideas of, well, the pa pastors are just after people's money. Look, if I was after money, I'd be in North Louisiana making more than most of y'all. I'm just letting you know right now, I ain't down here because I didn't have nothing else to do. I'm down here because this is what God told me to do. And so we're, <laughs> I could preach right there, but I get stuck. I, we're driving. I said, babe, what are we supposed to give? And she goes, well, I have a number. And I said, okay, okay, let's do this. You write down what you heard from the Lord, and I'll write down what I heard from the Lord. So I got my cell phone out real quick, driving up the road. And I just looked at the first number because I knew what followed that. So, and I typed my number in. She typed her number in. And, uh, and I said, all right, on three, we're going to show. And Adeline's kind of watching this whole thing happen. And on three, we showed one another, and it was the exact same number. I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you the number. It was $2,000. And that was the number that I'm not comfortable with. But that's what the Lord, now, well, the Bible said, hang on, don't you get religious and stare down your self-righteous nose at me. The Bible does say not to let your left hand know what your right hand is given if you're telling people out of arrogance. But Paul also told Timothy and Peter told the church that we need to be an example to all people in all things. And the apostle Peter wrote that not only do we need to do, but we need to lead by example. Again, I'd never ask you to give something that I'm not willing to give to myself. And I thought, man, if 100 more people do that, we're halfway to having that building built without having to steal from the church. Come on. I don't like robbing Peter to pay Paul. I just like it when people hear from God and do what he says. John chapter 4, verse 23. Jesus says to the woman at the well, 
The time is coming. Why did he say that? Because she said to him, you know, Jesus, some people like to worship to contemporary music. Some people like the old hymns. Lord, I don't know if you've been paying attention, but some people like LEDs and smoke machines. And so this is the new Chris version. And some people like, some people like fluorescent lights and flags. Come on, some people want solitude and silence in the worship center, and all the charismatics think they got to jump something or they're not having church. That's what she's saying to him. Hey! She said, some say we should worship on this mountain, but we, the Samaritans, who were, by the way, Jewish people who intermixed with the Assyrian people and the Jews, did not count them as people. They counted them as dogs. And she says, but we worship you on that mountain. And Jesus said this, there's coming a time when your preference is not going to be the purpose. It's going to be the problem. Where you want to, when you want to, and what you want to worship to is no longer in question. Jesus said the time is coming. It is here now. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They can be on 2nd Street or they can be in a sanctuary. Come on. They can be in a building or they can be on Broadway. It doesn't matter where they are. They will worship the Father in spirit and truth because they understand that the Father is looking. He's looking, not just on Sunday morning, but on every morning and all throughout the day for those who will worship him that way. Verse 24, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And most of the sermons that I've heard on this passage and most of the times that I've preached this passage, I honed in on that verse. But today I want to dig a little deeper. The woman says to him in verse 25, I know the Messiah is coming. Come on, the church is good at that song. The one who is called the Christ. When he comes, when he comes. See, she thinks that he's going to reveal himself when he comes. Just like a lot of people today think he's going to reveal himself when he comes. And she says, when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Come on, the church has been singing, what a day that will be with my Jesus I shall see. We didn't do nothing today for him, but we can't wait till he comes back. Oh, I just got in the way of some of y'all's favorite hymn, my Lord. We're just going to have church today and be okay with it. Jesus said, I'm not talking to you about what I'm going to do. Oh, I'm going to warm up a little bit. I'm not talking to you about what I used to do. He said the time is coming. It is here now. I'm not just going to reveal myself. I am revealing myself. Jesus responded to what she thought about his coming with this statement. I am the Messiah. In other words, I know that he came and I know that he is coming back. But he is here right now to day and he has a plan and he has a purpose between his coming and his return i want to preach a message today entitled it's here now it's not on the way i hope i wake somebody's soul up this morning it's not what we're about to do it's not what we have time to do it's about the moment in which we stand and the presence in which we stand in 
In this series, we have been discussing God's willingness. I would even say like the Father's desire to reveal himself. Listen, a parent with the mind of God wants to be honest, as honest and open with their child as possible. Right? I'm not going to go tell my children a bunch of things that they're not ready to hear. Come on. But I'm going to tell them everything that they need to know as soon as they need to know it. Now, I'm a good daddy. I, I really am. I have fun. I'm a good daddy. It's fun. I, don't, my, I work hard at it. I've, I've read a lot of books. I've, I've watched all the videos and taken notes. And my, if you ask my children, is he a good daddy, they would say, not even out of fear. I mean, they might say it out of fear, but not completely. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a good, but listen, I'm not a better daddy than yours is. And I, if I'm not hiding things from my children, they're not my servant. They're not my slave. They're my sons and my daughters. And I speak to them and I reveal to them. And Jesus is doing that same thing right here with this woman at the well. Because it is not his desire to hide and keep things from his children. It is his desire. Some of you might want to write this down because I've said it 17 times. And some of you are about to hear it for the first time. It is his desire for us to receive his glory. Because it is his desire for us to reveal his glory. Number one, if you're taking notes with me today, I came to tell somebody, God knows what's going on. You can stop complaining about it. Hallelujah for those four amens. You, <laughs> you can stop posting about it. You can stop texting about it. And you can stop whining about it. And you need to get to praying about it. God says it is through. Some of y'all post more than you pray. And I've said that before. But if you post more than you pray, then there's something wrong with your heart. And there's something wrong with your relationship with God. You will focus more on what's going on around you than what God's doing on the inside of you. But when you come to, I got to get back to these notes, my Lord Jesus. God knows what's going on. And he wants us to pray. He wants us to petition. But he doesn't say, be anxious for nothing and in all things through prayer and petition with complaining. Through prayer and petition with a whole lot of whining. Wait, guys, I, do you, who just, raise your hand if you just love to hear a kid whine. I love it. You hypocritical grandparents, y'all might like it. I'm telling, it's like, it's like forks on a chalkboard. Hearing kids complain and whine over and over again. Listen, God's, God's ear, God gave us our ears. They're sensitive because he created them. His ears are just as sensitive to the whining and complaining as ours are. The Bible says it's through prayer and petition. Come on, with a praise, with thanksgiving, with gratitude that we come to the Lord. Why? Because he already knows what's going on. He's just hoping that we'll spend enough time with him that we get his perspective of what's happening. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses has forgotten who he is. Moses is completely content to shepherd his field, to tend to his flock, and to take care of his family. 
He is completely content to marry a non-Jewish, non-Hebrew Midianite woman and work on her daddy's farm. Come on, Jethro's farm. Come on, somebody. That was written for a redneck right there. <laughs> Moses is on the backside of the... He was raised in the house of Pharaoh because Pharaoh's daughter found him in a basket floating down the Nile River. God had positioned him and God had appointed him, but Moses was content outside of the calling. Don't don't you ever get content outside of God's calling. When you learn to become content outside of God's calling, then you will become calloused in your commitment to the calling. But the moment that you remember who God called you to be and who God says that you are, then the conviction will come back in and you will begin to answer in a new way the calling that has always been upon your life. That's a second service only right there. I'm talking to somebody right now. Moses is content, and all of a sudden, he sees a burning bush in the wilderness. You ever been driving down the road and seen a fire? Smoke coming up from a, everything inside of you wants to exit and drive over there. What's on fire? Some Cajun done lit the grass and burning down everything again. That's what it, it happens in North Louisiana, too. But that's what I did it at my house not too long ago. My wife was praying in the spirit up by the house. Babe, that's real hot. Go inside. You don't have a big enough water hose. Go inside. <laughs> it's just something intriguing. We're driving up the road again. Gabriel hollers from the back. Look that smoke. He talks like y'all. I said, what smoke? I looked over his big black cloud. Everything inside of me wanted to divert my direction. Go see what was burning. That's what happened to Moses. He's walking through the wilderness, doing what he wants to do, forgetting what God called him to do. And God sets a fire. Don't you love it when God lights a fire? Well, I get stuck five minutes right there. God lit a fire. The Bible says that the bush was burning, but it was not consumed. And Moses walked over to the bush, and he heard a voice come from the bush that said, Take off your shoes, for this is holy ground. This is the first time, one of the first times that we receive the revelation of how holy God is. That he warns Moses, don't bring impurity into my presence. I'll consume you if you're not careful. For my God is a consuming fire. He is holy and he is perfectly holy. And yet he loves us so much that he tells us how to enter into his presence. Because he wants to help us and never to hurt us. And Moses walks forward, and he has this conversation with the Lord. The Lord says to him, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. Remember, point number one was God knows what's going on. He knows what's going on in your bank account. He knows what's going on in your family. He knows what's going on with your concern and your worry. He says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. If he saw it in Egypt, he saw it in America. If he saw it in America, he sees it in Acadiana. I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt. Come on, somebody. I have heard their cry. Your pleas do not fall upon deaf ears. They fall upon the ears of a heavenly father who cares. He says, because of their taskmasters, I know their sufferings. Because of their slavery, because of their bondage, 
age because of what was brought upon them that they have no control of. I have surely seen, says the Lord, their affliction. I hear their prayers and I know their suffering. Listen today, this is not just biblical history. I may ruffle a few feathers here. This is American history. See, like it or not, our so-called Christian foundations are tainted. They are tainted with a desire for self-righteousness and self-serving success. Something, hear me friend, something happened between the Puritans' discovery of this land and the pioneers' foundations in this land. Something happened between the Mayflower Compact from the people who were being oppressed by religion in Europe and European oppression and they came over here to worship God in spirit and in truth and then somehow that turned into pushing people out of the land that were already in the land and then it turned into kidnapping other people from other lands to come and do the work that they didn't want to do. But I believe, hear me, that God began to raise up voices in that generation. God has never been okay with bondage. He has never been okay with scrutiny. He has never been okay with division. He has never been okay with slavery. And he has never been okay with self-seeking success. What God is willing to do, we saw in the late 1800s when he turned a nation upside down because of the prayers and the faithfulness of a few. I came to tell you today that what he's done before, he'll do again. God raised up voices in that age and he is raising up voices in this age. He was the voice of Moses in the book of Exodus. He raised up the prophetess Deborah in the book of Judges. He raised up George Whitfield and Jonathan Edwards in the great awakening of the United States of America. He raised up a didactic, an autodidact, a self-taught educated man named Abraham Lincoln. He raised up a black woman who wasn't afraid of going out in the light so that she could keep and hide people through darkness to freedom named Harriet Tubman. He raised up a one-eyed black man named William Seymour who he wanted to reveal his Holy Spirit to in the 1900s for the 21st century. He raised up Dr. Martin Luther King when white people and black people didn't know how to get along and white people were putting them at the back of the bus and telling them to go to church somewhere else and drink out of a different fountain and they forgot even in the house of God that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. God decided to raise up an evangelist named Billy Graham and a woman named Martha Tennyson and God is still raising up the voices in the face of persecution, bondage, slavery today. God has not forgotten this nation. He has not forgotten the state of this nation. And as long as there is still a remnant in the face of rebellion who refuse to bow their knee to the gods of Baal or the bondage of Egyptian society, then God will still answer the prayers and there is still hope for Acadiana, Louisiana, and the United States of America. I will build my church says the Lord if the gates of hell didn't have a chance in the days of Rome then the atmosphere of hell doesn't have a chance in the days of the church he's not done he knows what is going on and then in verse 13 after Moses argued with him for a little while Moses said to God 
If I come to the people of Israel and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I say? And God said to Moses, Eddie. He said, tell them, I am who I am. This word means the one who is and will forever be. In the next sentence, he said, say to this people of Israel, Yahweh. That is, he is. It's a flip of the verbiage. He is has sent me to you. I am, or at EA, the one who is and will forever be, became so revered amongst the nation of Israel that they wouldn't even write the name out, much less mention it out loud. In fact, the scholars and the Jewish scribes, instead of writing the name down, the name that we now refer to as Yahweh, and we can only assume the vowels, the Jews changed this word to Adonai, which meant Lord of Lords. It was a reference to the word. Later, the Jewish scribes would begin to write this name that appears, by the way, in the Old Testament over 6,500 times. And this is very easy to look up. I, we actually found, Pastor Dylan found it, and then I, he referenced it, and I looked it up. It's written about and spoken about in the Bible Project, which is a great place to go and learn some of the origin of words and some of the origin of the books. Now, listen, don't, you got to take that stuff with a grain of salt and test everything that is said, but it's actually pretty easy to study the Word of God today if you just care enough to take the time to do it. The Jews, whoo, that got heavy. I didn't mean to even say that, but just the Jews changed his name to Adonai. So you have this name Yahweh and this name Adonai. And the Jewish scribes decided because they wanted the people to never say this name out loud because of in, originally the purity of intent of revering the name of God. And they would write a combination of Yahweh and a combination of Adonai, and it would say Yahoah, which translated by English scholars assumed that his name was Jehovah. Again, this name that appears over 6,500 times. There is a part of me, this is a, 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 a theological hypothesis. There is a part of me that actually wonders if they didn't intentionally hide the name of God, almost like Jonah didn't want to preach the gospel to the nation of Nineveh. Because if the name of God got out to other nations, then it would be just as powerful for the people who were not his as it was for the people who claimed to be. See, they were concerned that somebody would get a hold of what they found to be successful and become more successful than they were. So it's possible, I'm not saying absolute, but it's possible that they hid the name of Yahweh on purpose because they didn't want other people to get a hold of that name, so they kept it to themselves. No matter what, this Herein lies the problem when you begin to add to, adjust, or even take away from the Word of God. Hear me, church. 
anyone or any entity who claims that the Bible is not the absolute authority of God is in danger of adding, removing, and adjusting a whole lot of things that God never intended to be added, removed, or adjusted. I will prove my point with the very next verse. Verse 15, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, says the Lord here, because they changed it to Adonai, Yehovah, which we now know as Jehovah, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Look what God says. Tell them, this is my name forever. I don't want it adjusted. I don't want it adapted. I don't care if it's even with good intent that you allow or tolerate or enable something. I said, this is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Please notice, God said very clearly, I want my name to be remembered. Not adjusted, not tolerated, not used in vanity when something goes wrong that you don't like. Oh, I done got in something. Because before right then, you were thinking about other people. And then I turned it back to you like a mirror you got to stare in for self-reflection. God said, I don't want my name adjusted and or adapted. I don't want you to add to. I don't want you to take away from. I know that everybody's living together, but that's not what I said. I know that everybody swears a little but that's not what I said. I know that everybody likes to play and party a little, but that's not what I said. I know that everybody is more interested in the American dream than they are building the kingdom of God, but that's not what I said. My name is to be remembered and revealed throughout all generations. Number two, God commanded us to remember. Whew. No matter what's going on, no matter how much you have to pay for it, <clears throat> I felt that one down in my soul. I asked the Lord not too long ago, God, why did you wait until 2022 when everything costs more than it has in ages to tell me to tell her, to tell me <laughs> that we needed to build. Why did what I wanted to take just a couple of months end up taking two and a half years? When we were so close in 2020 to getting the plans for the worship center that would already be built by now, you shut everything down and you gave me perfect peace about pressing pause on those plans. And now it's all more expensive. I mean, it, the dirt costs more, more than the metal did three years ago. Inflation and interest rates and everything that it takes to even get here, much less lay it down, costs more than it has probably in my life. Sometimes, we have to remind others who God said he was. 
I'm not angry at this world. I'm called to win it. Thank you for those hearty amens. But this generation doesn't get to redefine marriage. Just because the church didn't know how to stay faithful to Jesus or one another. This generation doesn't get to redefine gender. It's already been defined. This generation doesn't get to redefine sexuality. This generation doesn't get to redefine integrity. No matter how many more men or women of God commit fraud and immorality. You don't get to blame the leader for not following Jesus. You won't stand before God and give an account of how I preached or what I did between my sermons. You will stand before God and give an account of what you did between our sermons. We don't get to redefine the definition of love. We don't get to redefine ethics and we don't get to blur the lines of biblical morality even if it goes against the things that we want and the things that we've already done and decided that we were okay with and they're actually hidden in our heart instead of confessed into heaven. Come on, somebody. Sometimes it is up to us to call sin, sin. Sometimes it's up to you to put your foot down and say this may have come this far but it doesn't get to come in here sometimes it is up to you to say listen this is a place where you can belong but it is not a place for you to behave however you want to it is not judgment to tell somebody the truth when you tell them the truth in humility and love well the Bible says judge not lest you be judged the Bible says also that we shouldn't judge according to appearance but we should judge according to righteousness and if I see you claiming that you know the name of Jesus, but if I look at your limbs and they're barren, dried up, and not producing any fruit, then I'm going to start pointing out to you that you got a root problem that we need to learn how to deal with and bring before God. There are times when Christians need to learn how to be corrected. Oh, come on, somebody. And then there are times when we need to remind ourselves who God is. I told you I was asking the Lord, why? Now? You understand we could have gotten 2% for 30 years, two years ago? Do you understand that everything was set up for us in 2020? You shut the nation down and told me to pause. I walked into my house not too long ago. I laid down on my couch. Nobody else was there. And I looked up and I was like, God, I don't, I don't want to do this right now. Like, I, I, just, I just got the finances to where we're comfortable with them. Come on, somebody. Like, we've been budgeting and saving, doing all these things the, the right way. And I lay down on the couch and, and we're supposed to build a worship center and, and classrooms. And even those classrooms aren't enough for the 80 students that we already have signed up and paid for next year. Because we had to call some of them and say, hey, I'm sorry, we don't have room this year, but we're going to do our best to get you in next year. Please sign up. Do you know how hard it is to call somebody and tell them there's not enough room for you? And I laid down on the couch, and I was like, God, you keep sending people, but we didn't build the buildings in time. What? I, I don't, are we supposed to do this right now? 
I don't think we can afford to do this right now. And the Lord said to me, hey, Chris, where'd you get this couch? I hate it when he does that. I'm not going to tell you who bought the couch because they would say, I didn't buy that couch. God did. And I laid on that couch that somebody else bought for me and my family. And the Lord said this, son, if I can give you a couch on your budget, I can give you a building on my budget. And sometimes even preachers get in over their heads and God tells us incessantly to do more than we are comfortable with doing because he sees what he wants to do. Moses, don't forget who you are. Don't become content in less than the fullness of my calling upon your life. This isn't just for me, this is for the church. Sometimes no matter what happens or what is happening and or how much it costs, you just have to do what, oh, y'all think I'm talking about finances. See, it will always cost you something to do what God's calling you to do. It will always cost you your comfort zone. Whether I'm talking about physical faith, whether I'm talking about financial faith, or whether I'm talking about denying your flesh kind of faith, it will always cost you to keep step in step with Jesus himself. And when you are tempted to begin to follow him at a distance, are you are tempted to begin to stray from the things that he already said you got to come back to a place where you remind yourself no matter what's going on I know who he is therefore in him I know who he's called me to be Jesus said to the woman at the well the time is coming it's here now Oh, I'm warming up. We might need to tune that thing to an organ and practice today. Maybe not. We'll just take a little praise break anyway. I got to preach a little. Somebody might want to Will Smith their neighbor right now. And <laughs> too soon? Too soon? My bad. I just, five people just woke up. Come on. I believe that whatever God said he's going to do, he's going to do. He didn't just come, and he's not just coming back. He is doing something today. He's not about to do it, and he hadn't just always done it. He's got something right now. In the darkest hour of any nation, he'll flip it on its head if he has a faithful remnant. In the moment where you think you're at the lowest part of the pit, God puts down a foot-long ladder that's just a little bit further for you to climb up on. In your deepest depression, God gives you. In your greatest temptation, he is faithful and will allow you a way out. When work doesn't seem to be working and spending costs you more than saving, come on somebody, when a spouse is being selfish and your kids are going even crazier, because kids crazy anyways, when they're going even crazier, when society has lost its ever-loving mind, when they're pushing Jesus out in the name of tolerance and pressing evil in in the name of of enlightenment when any fear of the one true God has left the land I came to tell somebody today that what he told the woman at the well is still faithful and true he is 
is here. The time is coming and it has now come right now. Who he said he was then, he still is today. And the woman said, well, I know that you can. I know that the Messiah is coming. Oh, the King is coming. The King is coming. He's too young for that one. Y'all just... His mama knows it. I know the Messiah is coming, says the woman. Oh, I just can't wait till God... I wish you'd just come. What are you waiting on? You? if I come right now, the friend you were supposed to stay with is going to get left, pray with, is going to get left behind. If I come right now, what you were supposed to share on Saturday, what you were supposed to give, la- oh my Lord. If I come right now, the way that you were supposed to be serving, you're going to regret for all eternity. And God is not lack concerning his promise, but he is patient, unwilling that none should perish, but everybody, listen, the laborers are not few, they're distracted and lazy. We live in a day, oh my God, we live in a day and an age where we are more concerned about secular success than we are spiritual success and spiritual selflessness. Oh, he's going to come and he's going to take care of everything. And Jesus said, oh no, no, I'm not just coming, I am. Jesus in that moment. See, we just read over that. Jesus, in that moment, he said, eh, yay. And that woman's mouth, I mean, she was already confused that he, a Jewish man, would be talking to her, a Samaritan dog. And then Jesus, this guy just said he's God. He just broke 1,500 years of silence. This guy just put a death sentence on his head. And every time that he said it, from that point forward, society pushed him a little further out. Every time that he mentioned his name, from that moment on, society put him a little bit closer to the crucifixion. But did he hide? Did he complain? Did he whine? Or did he do ministry? Was he about the master's business? Was he found working on behalf of the kingdom of God? He said, I am the Messiah. He didn't just say the word. He said he was the word, my God. He said that the one that is supposed to be coming is me. And the one that is coming back isn't just coming back. He's here right now. And today, a bunch of Gentiles in South Louisiana call upon the name that all the Jews were trying to hide. Well, I tried that and nothing happened. Please hear my heart. Never confuse what you don't see with God not moving. Never confuse what you do see with God not moving. What God said to Moses, he's saying to us today, I have seen surely your affliction. I have heard your cries. I know your sufferings. Jesus says, I am. And I came to remind you today that who he was in the book of Exodus to the Israelites, he is to you. I said who he was to Daniel 
in the Babylonian Empire, he is to you. I said who he was to Elijah on Mount Carmel in the face of Jezebel's prophets, he is to you. Who he was to Elijah sitting in his living room when his own king surrounded him by an ungodly army. I came to tell somebody today that he is to you. Who he was to Rahab when she didn't even know who she was supposed to fear. But she provided for the men of God who feared him in that moment. He wants to be for you. Who he was to the woman caught in the act of adultery. Who he was to the dog Samaritan that was a mixed breed and a mutt to, to the society who was left out forsaken and forgotten by the people all around her. God told me to come into this house today and tell you that who he was in the days of Babylon and who he was to the disciples in the days of Rome. He said, I am the Messiah. He still is the Messiah. He still is the deliverer. He still is the Prince of Peace. He still is the Lord of Lords. He still is the everlasting to everlasting. He still owns a cattle on a thousand hilltop. If America goes into a recession, then the people of God can choose not to participate because he is still Jehovah Jireh, my provider, and he is still Jehovah Shalom, the God of my peace. He is still Jehovah Nisi. My God said, I will avenge all things for vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So instead of waving your finger, start waving God's banner in the face of the enemy, in your house, when everything is pressing down upon you. He still is the lamb that was slain, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who shall forever be. He was the rock that they followed all the way through the wilderness, that they got living water from in the Old Testament and the New. He was the cloud that was their God in the middle of the day, and he was the fire on the inside that kept them warm, and the fire that warned the nations on the outside that was trying to warn them who he was he still is and he shall forever be but Moses said what am I supposed to do what am I what can I say God who am I in this wicked God forsaken generation and God told Moses this isn't about you he said to Moses, say this to the people of Acadiana. Say this to the people in Louisiana. Say this to the people in the United States of America. That the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob and God incarnate, Jesus Christ himself has come and he has sent you. This is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. No matter what is happening all around the generation, I am the one who was and I am the one who is Yahweh. So the question today, 10 seconds before we pray, the question today is not, is God here? The question today is, am I in him? Am I allowing him to use me in every area?